Hello, Gums and Ghouls, and welcome to my Haunted Life podcast, the podcast for all things paranormal and the history behind the legends. I'm your host, Angela Hartjorn. How is everyone doing today? I hope you all had a safe and wonderful new year. We got a bunch of snow finally. Yay! So we just stayed home with the cats, which I think the cats appreciated. The hubs finally got me to play Witcher, so that's been fun. I've been forcing myself to take time off, and that's been kind of difficult. Uh, I've been told several times in the last month or so that uh, I'm a bit of a workaholic. So that's been hard for me. That being said, I've been working on the podcast, which I don't consider work. It's it's the thing that lets my little paranormal and history nerd flag fly. And I, I do it for fun. And I hope you find it as fun and enjoyable as I do. So. I'm trying a few things out for the podcast. I'm trying new software. I have new intro, music, all this. I even got new equipment. I hope you can tell. I don't know. I look really legit now, let me tell you. Let me know what you guys think of the changes. I'm still learning all of this. And I've honestly been just kind of making it up as I go. Like, I'll read a little bit here and there and just kind of flying by the seat of my pants on this one. So, let me know what you think. Any feedback is always appreciated. This week, we are going back to Chicago. And I'm going to tell you all about the weird things that surround Resurrection Cemetery and our girl, Mary. This area has been dubbed the Archer Triangle. Of course, our girl is the most famous entity. Everybody knows her. But there is so much that it needed to be its own episode. I I didn't know where I could fit this in. And again, there's a lot. We are talking ghosts and gangsters and monks and demons, werewolves and even nuclear bombs. Also, one of the strangest and saddest true crime stories I have ever read that shook the country and even got Elvis involved. If you're from Chicago, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. So, let's get into it, shall we? Grab yourself a cup of tea, make sure the doors are locked, and the sage is close by. I have a story to tell you. Archer Avenue has had a long and storied existence. 
So you can find so many stories along the entire stretch of road. This road and the surrounding area have become known as the Archer Triangle because of all the weirdness that goes on there. Imagine the Bermuda Triangle, but with a Midwestern accent. Attempting to map this area out was infuriating, and I'm pretty sure it's impossible. That being said, if someone's done it, you are a better person than I, and I would love to see it. So much. Because it doesn't seem like there's consensus on the boundaries of the triangle, and that was the part that was too much for me. The history of the road and the area lends itself perfectly to a haunted story or two. Or three. Or, well, there's a lot. <laughs> it was originally used by indigenous people as a transportation route. Even before the road was built, its namesake built a canal along it now path that reportedly took the lives of many of the workers who were unceremoniously buried along the way, a lot of times without any kind of marker. That being said, there are seven official cemeteries along Archer Avenue and, fun fact, part of Archer Avenue was part of the infamous Route 66 that that could be a whole other series of podcasts and I bet people have done them. Archer Avenue is believed to have been part of the Pontiac Trail, an old Native American trade route. If you look at a map of Chicago, everything is pretty much laid out in a grid. But there are streets that go diagonal along waterways, especially like parallel to uh, the Des Plaines River. These are believed to be the old trails just following the river. And with, in the case of Archer Avenue, it starts all the way back at Lake Michigan and then breaks off into different areas. Along Archer Avenue, you can find Healing Waters Park. The park, which consists of a small pond and a row of boulders 92 yards in length, is the last remnant of a prehistoric culture in the area long before the first Europeans set foot on the land, the Algonquin people traveled to this area to drink from the springs that reportedly possessed healing powers. The boulders that mark the location are arranged in a precise north-south direction with a circle of smaller stones at the southern end. 
A circle of boulders contains the ceremonial external flame kept burning by the Miss Guten. A plaque at the park explains the Miss Guten were a tribe of Algonquin speaking American Indians, also known as the Fire Nation or Nation of Fire. Though their name literally meant a treeless country, they were virtually eliminated by rival tribes and disappeared from records around the Revolutionary War. The plaque continues, the Indians came to this place to be cared for until healed. Although the pond and its miraculous waters remained, it is surrounded by a black fence and a sign warns visitors against attempting to collect or drink the water. Today, people have reported that at night, drumming and chanting can be heard. Sometimes. So the indigenous people knew this area was special way long before Resurrection Mary was around dancing and dying. Something drew these people there. Of course, it could be because they believed the waters there had healing properties, as the name Healing Water Park suggests. But another theory that kept coming up over and over again in my research was that the area had a ley line that ran through it. Ley lines are lines that crisscross the globe. Think like longitude and latitude. But these are said to be currents of supernatural energy. Along these lines, at the places where they intersect, there are pockets of concentrated energy that can be harnessed by certain individuals, or at least sensed. In 1921, amateur archaeologist Alfred Watkins noticed that ancient sites at different points around the world fell into a sort of alignment. Be the sites man-made or natural, they all fell into a pattern, usually a straight line. For example, stretching from the southern tip of Ireland all the way through all the way to Israel, there's a straight line that connects seven different land formations that bear the name Michael or some form of it. He coined these lines lays or later lay lines. So ley lines are kind of a cool idea. They aren't scientific fact, but there's a problem with ley lines, at least in relation to Chicago. Ley lines seem to be a little subjective and people cannot agree on where ley lines actually run. Some say there are none in Chicago. Some maps 
conveniently draw them right down Archer Avenue. It, it's an awesome theory. So I wanted to include it here. And it has some history behind it. And again, it comes up a lot discussing the Archer Triangle. But I honestly don't know. I will be honest and say I've never put a lot of stock into the theory of ley lines. Again, they're kind of subjective. Like our dear Alfred Watkins, just literally like a ruler and a pen marked all these things. Drew a straight line through everything and went, that's a ley line. So I don't know. It, it, I don't know. This area, our Archer Triangle, is definitely a hotbed of activity. But I feel like it's its own weird little corner of the world. Before Archer Avenue was built, the Illinois and Michigan Canal was put in along what is now Archer Road by Colonel William Beatty Betty Archer, the namesake. He suffered huge financial problems building it, and there were months where no work would happen. Just everything would stop. And the workers couldn't be paid during this. Also, apparently working conditions around the canal were atrocious. It is said there were there was a lot of disease and fighting and a few deaths associated with the canal. But it seems like there's not an exact record of this. And this could be because most of the men that worked on the canal were Irish immigrants. And apparently a lot of them had also worked on the Erie Canal and they just came down to work on the Illinois and Michigan Canal when they were done. When these guys died, they're not from the area in most parts. There's chances their families aren't even in the U.S. yet. Nobody really knew what to do with them. They weren't given a real proper burial. They would just be buried because no one had the ability to claim them. And a lot of times, because it was cheaper, they would be cremated and scattered over the sag quarries and in the area that would become known as St. James Sag, which I'll be talking about later. It's probably my new favorite. I'm going to do my best not to hop all over the place. It's a little hard, but I'm going to try. I'm going to do my absolute best not to continuously say, and I'm going to talk about that later. I'm going to do my best. Anyways, so little bit of a backstory going on there. Let's start off with the places that are directly connected to Resurrection Mary. That is Resurrection Cemetery and the Dance Halls.
Resurrection Cemetery is at 7201 Archer Avenue. Its full name is Resurrection Cemetery and Mausoleums. It is 3.7 miles from the Willowbrook Dance Hall, one of the many sightings, one of the many locations for sightings of Mary. It's technically in Justice, Illinois, southwest of Chicago, and has mostly served the local Polish community. In 1904, uh, the land was consecrated. It opened publicly in 1912 and was run by the Catholic Archdiocese in the area. The cemetery stretches over 540 acres. It is in the shape of a triangle. You know, that pair, or that uh, diagonal road. It has 152 graves and 3,500 crypts in the mausoleum. The mausoleum in Resurrection Cemetery has the Guinness Book World Record for having the largest installation of stained glass in the world. I had to look this up. When I heard this, I thought that was insane. But it's true. This little, well, not that little, cemetery in Chicago has this record. I, I thought that was fascinating. Over 22,000 square feet of stained glass was used to create the windows which wrap around all four sides of the building. The images portrayed in the stained glass are of biblical imagery, but also depictions like dinosaurs and airplanes and atomic explosions. So I'm not 100% sure when they went in. I couldn't find that. I didn't want to do too much on the mausoleum. But it is apparently very popular among the living and the dead. Mary has been seen several times in the mausoleum and around it. But in particular, she's seen dancing in front of a statue known as the Resurrection of Christ. I don't know what that's about, but okay, you know, you do you, girl. There was once a massive blackout injustice that they could figure out, they could not figure out how it was caused. When they tracked the outage out, they figured out it came from or started in the mausoleum, but there was no discernible damage like from a storm or vandals to explain why the power went out there and plunged the nearby town into darkness. I don't understand how power grids work, but I find that also fascinating. And it was, it was this big thing about why it came. The power outage started at the mausoleum. I could not find a good explanation. 
It was strange. It is also said that in the middle of the night, taped organ music will start playing. Lights will go on and off. Construction workers have had the large statues move places in the middle of the night. Like when they leave for the night, the statue is in one place. But when they get in in the morning, the statue is in a different place. I don't know which statues in particular. I don't think the construction workers wanted to go into a lot of detail when they were being interviewed about this. But that sounds like an awful lot of supernatural force was needed to pull that off. Which would make sense, since it could have been responsible for this massive power outage. The big question is, of course this is weird, is it paranormal? It's a paranormal podcast, let's just say yes. But is it Mary? That one, we will never really know. The mausoleum, again, holds 3,500 crypts. It could really be anyone. You can get much further with a kind word and a gun than you can with a kind word alone. Al Capone. Let's start off talking about the area where a lot of Mary sightings happened. The local ballrooms. And to warn you ahead of time, this got a very confusing. Archer Avenue is the street alongside the cemetery, but when you go down it for a few miles, it turns into Archer Street, which was confusing, and I swear there's places that run at times the street runs parallel to each other. It was confusing. Names of the bars change with time, of course. And when people are talking about their sightings decades apart, it's hard to know which location is which sometimes. So when somebody has a story happening at the O. Henry and the Liberty Grove, it turns out it's the same location. In fact, there has been a dance hall on that site since 1921. And then there are some with the same or really close names. Like, there's the O. Henry Ballroom, which is different from the O. Henry Roadhouse. And the O. Henry Ballroom became the Willowbrook Ballroom. And the O. Henry Roadhouse, now the Irish legend, was across the street from the Willowbrook. All of this is happening on Archer Avenue. So, going back to the 
very first podcast, we talked about the Jerry Payless story. And he's the one that danced with Mary. The whole line of she's cold, but it me- me- makes for warm hearts. That that whole thing. That happened at the Liberty Grove Ballroom at 8900 Archer Avenue. This was the O'Henry. The O'Henry Ballroom was touted as having an outdoor dance floor so you could dance under the stars. The first one burned down and they decided to rebuild it before the next Saturday. I just thought this was interesting. 200 carpenters were called in to the sum of about $100,000 during the Great Depression. This is the 30s. Today, that is $1,819,664.47. May 3rd, 1931, 1,700 people came to the new opening to dance under the stars. It remained popular through World War II, and it was almost at capacity every night, which was about 1,000 people. Later, it became the Willowbrook. On October 28th, Sadly, 2016, it caught fire and burnt down. It is believed that there was gambling and drinking in the basement of the Willowbrook, and it is rumored to have tunnels that led to more seedy places and escape routes into the local cemeteries and forests to get away from police raids. One of these tunnels supposedly leads across the street to the old O. Henry Roadhouse, now the Irish legend. Which, no surprise here, it is supposed to be very haunted. In some places, I read that it was a regular hangout of Al Capone, and other places I read it was actually his brother Ralph that liked to hang out there either way Al Capone somehow relates back to the Willowbrook so a little bit of backstory on this guy in 1920 Chicago Al Capone was able to work his way through the ranks of the mob from enforcer to mob boss He was ruthless. Thanks to the passing of the Prohibition Amendment, illegal brewing, distilling, distilling, and distribution of beer and liquor made the mob a fortune. The mob also developed interest in legitimate businesses, but we know where the money came from. Cabone was able to build himself a fearsome reputation. One of the biggest events in the gang wards in Chicago was the St. Valentine's Day Massacre on February 14, 1929. Seven members or associates of the Bugs Moran mob 
were machine gunned against a garage wall by rivals posing as police. Long story short, there was a lot of violence happening in Chicago at this time. And violence breeds hauntings. The O. Henry Roadhouse was said to have a dirt floor. And it was rumored that this had become the resting place for many people that crossed Capone and his associates. One of the more famous stories is that of a sex worker and a bartender that fell in love and wanted to run away together. The problem was she was the favorite of someone that had a lot more power in the establishment. It is believed the two of them were beaten to death and buried in the basement. A figure of a badly beaten woman will sometimes appear in the mirrors of the Irish legend, I believe usually in the bathrooms. And according to the Ghosts of Research Society, during one of their investigations, one of their investigators asked, did something bad happen to you in this room? A female voice answered, beneath the floor. Researchers believe Mary's death happened somewhere between 1920s and the mid-1930s. So uh, this was a very turbulent time in Chicago to say the least. This is a time of prohibition, gangsters, organized crime, Al Capone. So maybe it's just me and considering they're in the same area, but I like to imagine they cross paths. They basically had to. Just even on the road and the sidewalk going into the Willowbrook something. I totally believe they were in the same establishment at the same time and nobody's gonna correct me on it. So, now that I've talked about the places directly related to Resurrection Mary, the places she liked to haunt in life, I'm going to tell you some of the other notable Archer Triangle locations and happenings. Archer Avenue is a quiet road compared to the big city of Chicago. When I think about Chicago, I think of a huge city, skyscrapers as far as you can see, inner city neighborhoods, you know, the short little housing, that sort of thing. Just buildings upon buildings. Archer Avenue in the Willow Spring and Justice areas really isn't that at all. It's kind of hard to describe. Imagine a wooded area around a suburban area. It looks like a lot of scrub oak and bushes, you know, the small green plants. It is the Midwest, right next to one of the Great Lakes. So the air is more humid and the plants are pretty lush. Of course, this is coming from someone from Colorado, so it's objective. 
In some ways, it almost feels like the last refuge of nature before the urban sprawl around it. There's plenty of videos taken along Archer Avenue and along the road, it looks pretty heavily wooded. There are some small nature reserves in the area, some lakes, some trails, but again, it's not like you're out in the middle of the mountains away from people in the middle of nowhere. Maybe that's why there's so much going on in the Archer Triangle. Maybe, just maybe, it's the last place where mysteries have to hide. The southernmost corner of the Archer Triangle is said to be St. James Sag Cemetery, which was built near the Sag Quarries. I didn't know what Sag Quarries were, so I had to look it up. It's limestone. It's where they dug up limestone. One of the things I saw, I believe from Chicago Hauntings, described it as looking like an Irish postcard. Just perfect Irish setting. The cemetery, and especially the church, have a very Victorian Gothic vibe, but very countryside as well. It was built in the 1850s, but something about it feels even older. Very old world. It is believed that the land St. James was originally a Native American burial ground. Later, it was the site of a French signal fort. Later, it became the burial ground for the men that died working on the Illinois and Michigan Canal and in the Sag Quarries. This area has so many things attributed to it, it's not even funny. St. James Church has become known to locals as Monk's Castle after numerous sightings of phantom monks in the woods dressed in brown robes, carrying lanterns, and chanting in Latin. These monks supposedly haunt the church and its cemetery. Legend has it that they will go after teenage trespassers. But, to be fair, who wouldn't really? One of the priests of the church a Father Raymond Polanski, Polsinski, who died in the rectory on May 10th, 1970, confided, confided to friends and loved ones on his deathbed that he saw shadowy monk-like figures and people dressed in robes in the area and claimed that when he would look out the windows of the rectory at night, the ground of the cemetery appeared to be rising and falling, as if the earth was breathing. In 1977, Cook County Sheriff Police Officers chased, chased 
shadowy monk-like figures through the grounds of St. James, even searching with a canine patrol, but found nothing. In a two-page report, they stated they didn't think they were real people at all, but some kind of phantom manifestation. The police came to this conclusion because of the way the hooded beings looked and moved. They glided up the hill in the cemetery in unison and completely silent, while the police stumbled in the darkness, tripping over tombstones, and the figures had disappeared by the time the police reached the top of the hill. Even the trained dogs could not pick up a scent. To me, this story is pretty compelling. You know, people dressed up in robes in a cemetery is not a unfamiliar thing. People like to try to scare themselves or do rituals, whatever. But the fact that the dogs couldn't find anything... That's the part that gets me the most. The front gates of the St. James Sag Cemetery are from the Hawthorne Works, where a majority of the workers killed during the Eastland disaster worked. On July 25, 1915, the SS Eastland steamship capsized trapping 2,572 passengers on board. Unfortunately, the addition of new lifeboats, which were added after the Titanic disaster, which did not have enough lifeboats, caused the already top-heavy Eastland to roll over in the waters of the Chicago River between Clark and LaSalle Streets. And when you go and see this area, it's so tight in here. You cannot imagine a giant ship in this area. It's insane. I got video of it that I'll post on the TikTok and everything. But just trying to imagine this giant ship in this small area and then rolling is inconceivable. Many of the passengers and crew were crushed by heavy furniture and otherwise trapped. In total, 844 passengers and crew members died that day. Various Chicago establishments were used as makeshift morgues to store the recovered bodies. A lot (laughs) of places had to be used, obviously. Many of these spots have experienced ghostly sightings and are said to elicit feelings of general unease among visitors, including the gates at St. James. My favorite story from St. James is the woman in white seen on the road and a carriage of white horses believed to be the spirit of a woman killed trying to run away and elope. This story was first 
published in 1897 in the Chicago Tribune. I did think about reading the whole article to you, but it's pretty long. And there's a lot of Victorian words I need to look up the proper pronunciations for. Maybe I'll do it for the TikTok. But the story goes that two musicians, after playing a gig one night, stayed in the rooms above the bar that happened to overlook St. Ger- James Cemetery. They were woken up in the wee hours of the morning by the sound of horses and a carriage barreling down the road. This seemed very weird to them. This was a quiet little hamlet. And it was the middle of the night. Nobody's out. The noise must have awoken everyone around. So they assumed there must be an emergency for people to be driving like that. They went to the window to see what was going on. And there was nothing. This was very strange, but they decided to not worry about it until it happened again. They weren't being woken up out of a dead sleep this time. They were awake. They were wide awake. This time, they saw a carriage pulled by snow white horses with lights shining from their heads and they appear to be summoned by a young woman in white with long raven black hair who had deep melancholy reflected in her sepulchral eyes see one of those Victorian words the carriage flew past the woman she sank into the ground and the carriage disappeared. This played out over and over during the night. The next day, Kelly and Looney, the names of the musicians, reported their experience to the police since they were too afraid to leave that night to do so. The police described them as sober young fellows in fact, they had a good reputation in the area. No, it didn't seem like they had anybody coming out against them. That being said, no plausible explanation was to be had. Next is the Red Gate Woods, which is next to St. James the Seg. Here, our monks are seen wandering around the forest. Legend has it that there were tunnels built under the local bars and dance halls that would lead into Red Gate Woods as a way to escape the cops when they raided the joints during Prohibition. 
This makes me wonder how many gangsters were mistaken for ghost monks. And it just makes me happy. Redgate Woods is also home to Chicago Pile 1, or CP1, which was the world's first artificial nuclear reactor. On December 2nd, 1942, the first human-made self-sustaining nuclear chain reaction was initiated in CP1. The secret development of the reactor was the first major technical achievement for the Manhattan Project. The allied effort to create atomic bombs during World War II. It is still being monitored by the Argonne National Laboratory for any environmental changes. It is supposed to be safe, but it is said to mess with paranormal equipment when ghost hunters wander into the area. Either the equipment is just that sensitive, which, you know, you hope is possible, or there are some radioactive monk ghosts out there now. One thing I saw, and I don't think I saved it, or where I saw it, theorized that investigators are getting readings around CP1 on their ghost hunting equipment because it's connected to all the deaths at Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and somehow it pulls that spiritual energy there. Our next location is Maple Lake, which is said to have a ghost light. They say that a red light will appear that moves slowly over the water. There's no sound. It is said to be round and shines with a bright red color, sometimes so bright that it is reflected in the water. People speculate whether it is nuclear material that has escaped CP1, which that's terrifying, or if it's the spirit left over from some long-ago tragic accident. I couldn't really find what accident people believe it's from. But it's apparently been around for a little while. It shows up over the water between 95th and 107th streets and has also been seen at the northern edge across from the Maple Lake Overlook. Because of the forest preserve that is around the area, it has become a place of rumors and dark events. For a long time, the forest preserve had so many stories of black magic rituals and devil worshippers probably running around in hooded robes. But there has been real documented tragedy as well. In 1991, the body of a 17-year-old girl 
was found floating in the lake. The murderer was caught shortly thereafter, but this really cemented the area's dark reputation. Now we're going to talk about the area of the Archer Triangle associated with Keene Avenue. So if Archer Avenue is the hypotenuse of the Archer Triangle, then Keene Avenue is the little leg of the triangle. It's been a while since high school geometry. This little swath of land has some of my favorite stories. There is a phantom known as the Sobbing Woman in Buffalo Woods. Many people refer to her as a banshee, but this could be because a lot of people in the area are of Irish descent and refer to her as something they were familiar with. They grew up with stories like banshees. Like regular banshees, it is said that if you hear her cries, something bad is going to happen to you or a loved one, and a lot of times that means death. Across the street is Archer Woods Cemetery. Guests of their tours have often found faces, orbs, and other unexplainable phenomena in their digital photos and video. According to local lore, a female apparition hangs out near the cemetery entrance, known as the Weeping Woman of Archer Woods. She is supposed to be crying for a lost love or a lost child. There is a story of two black horses pulling an 1880s coach with a glowing child-sized casket that leaves Resurrection Cemetery and goes down Archer Avenue to Keene, circles around Archer Woods, and then heads down to St. James Cemetery. Could the sobbing woman and the weeping woman be one and the same? I, I don't see why not. Different colloquialisms. I did find it fascinating that this is another haunted coach associated with St. James Cemetery. Although, I don't think this is the woman associated with the carriage there. I, I feel like the carriages are definitely different as well. Who knows? I just hope they don't overlap. I would like two haunted carriages. Thank you very much. An interesting note about Archer Woods Cemetery. Instead of all the graves being buried facing east like most cemeteries, in Archer Woods they're buried every which way, possibly making it a very active location with a bunch of very confused spirits. 
My favorite Keen Avenue story has to be that of the gray-haired baby and the werewolf that lurks along the road. I love me a good werewolf story, and I was really excited to come across this. I was thinking it was a little weird. I had never heard of it. But Chicago is the Midwest, and, you know, Wisconsin has the Beast of Bray Road, and Michigan has Dogman. So why not some version of lycanthrope in Chicago? I, I don't see why not. It just, considering I have a thing with these, I was just really surprised I'd never heard of it. I researched this for so long, trying to find any kind of primary documents, and I couldn't find anything. Honestly, it was a little bit disappointing. <laughs> I was able to talk to a very nice human by the name of Tony Zabelski from Chicago Hauntings via email, who has led the Archer Triangle Tour for the last five years, and this is what he said about the werewolf. It seems the legend started to gain traction in the 1970s. A lady named Chris Sansbury was driving down a dark stretch of Keene Avenue near Sacred Heart Cemetery when something standing upright and covered in a coat of hair darted across the road. It clips the side rear view mirror of her truck on the passenger side, causing some damage. This may have been the first such sighting. Another person named Terry Blazik, also in the 1970s, while riding a horse down an equestrian trail, encountered a similar looking creature. It appears that a legend saying in the 1950s, a young couple was driving down Keene near Sacred Heart with a young child unrestrained in the back seat. They got into a terrible accident, killing the couple, but the baby was never found. Legend says it was thrown from the car and taken in by local wildlife and raised as one of their own. No historical record can be found to back up this tragic event. It seems like the two sightings I mentioned and a few others fueled the legend. Richard Crow, in his book Chicago's Street Guide to the Supernatural chronicles the story very well as does Windy City Ghost 2 by Dale Krasmick. Ursula Balinski, who did the Resurrection Mary Archer Avenue Triangle video on our website, also wrote about the legend. Also, Tony will be on the next episode to help me finish up our Resurrection Mary episodes kind of sad. And I kind of wish I had Tony for this episode.
so we are going to go from a fun werewolf story to one of the saddest and one of the strangest true crime stories I have ever read. Trigger warning on this one. This has to do with the tragic murders of two sweet young girls. The murder of the Grimes sisters is an unsolved double murder that took place December 28, 1956, when two sisters named Barbara and Patricia Grimes, aged 15 and 12, disappeared while traveling to Brighton Park Movie Theater to their home in McKinley Park. They were going to see an Elvis movie for the 11th time. Their disappearance initiated one of the largest missing persons investigations in the history of Chicago. The girls' bodies were discovered alongside a deserted road in Willow Springs on January 22, 1957. Although the girls' autopsy reports concluded that they had been murdered within five hours of the last confirmed sighting, and that both girls had died of secondary shock, numerous individuals attested to having seen the girls alive in the weeks between the night of December 28th and when their bodies were discovered. Like, there were a lot of sightings, sometimes numerous witnesses at a time believed they saw them. A lot of them could be mistaken identity, but some of the sightings were from people that actually knew the girls. They knew they were seeing them. The sightings were so common people started to wonder if maybe the girls hadn't been abducted, but instead ran away. This is before the era of the 70s with hitchhiking kind of thing. So that doesn't seem to fit. In the early hours of January 14th, the parents of a classmate of Patricia named Sandra Tolston received two separate anonymous phone calls. During the first call, nobody at the other end spoke. Picking up the second phone call, approximately 15 minutes later, Sandra's mother, Anne, heard a frightened and depressed young female voice asking, is that you, Sandra? Is Sandra there? Before Anne could bring her daughter to the phone, the call ended. Mrs. Tolston informed investigators, and she was absolutely convinced the caller she had talked to was Patricia Grimes. Following 
the January 19th television and radio appeal by Elvis Presley himself, begging the sisters to return home. Chicago Sun-Times advice columnist Ann Landers received an anonymous letter allegedly written by a girl who claimed to have witnessed the sisters being forced into a car by a young male on the night of their disappearance. Although a partial license plate number was provided with this letter, subsequent police endeavors to trace the vehicle proved fruitless. The author of this letter was never identified and the actual contents were never authenticated. The murder of the Grimes sisters has never been found. Originally, I had the story about the Grimes sisters as the last story for this week's podcast. But I didn't want to end on such a sad story. So, just for fun, palate cleanser, if you will, let's throw in a couple stories about the devil. Along Archer Avenue, in the Bridgeport section of Chicago, lies the infamous Kaiser Hall. Back in its heyday, Kaiser Hall was a popular ballroom that not only catered to immigrants of the neighborhood, but supposedly the devil himself. According to legend, a young woman was swept off her feet by a handsome and dashing man at one of the hall's dances. After hours of dancing with the young man, the woman happened to look down at her partner's feet and screamed at what she saw. Men in the vicinity assumed the man had made an unwelcome advance on the woman and chased him up to the second floor. Once cornered, the man jumped out of the second story window, landed with ease on the ground, and walked away. The stranger got away, but the cement where he landed was imprinted with cloven hooves. No wonder if the hooves in the cement are still there. This reminds me so much of the stories from Loftus Hall in Ireland. I just had to include it. It just made me happy. Another devil-related experience happened along the Archer Triangle in Lamont, Illinois, right near Sag Bridge, near St. James Cemetery, in the fall of 1901. The Wellman's family started receiving letters that would materialize out of midair and drop at their feet. 
A lot of these letters told the family to get out. Some threatened them by, like, you know, murder. And others would predict the arrival of family or friends. Another weird occurrence happened one day when the elder son was milking the family cow. Out of nowhere, the boy cried out for his father's attention. Apparently, as soon as the milk landed in the pail, it would become cheese. He had a whole pail of cheese. No word on if they eat it or not. That same day, Wilmans had a had seen a black cat wandering around the farm and shot at it to chase it off. That night, the family received a letter, again, falling out of midair, stating, Do you want to know why your cows have stopped giving milk? I did it. You thought you'd put a shot in me? Didn't you? It was immediately believed to be witchcraft. You know, those damn black cats always in league with the devil and those witches. The family even called the church to help. An exorcism was done on the home. It was quiet for three days when a letter dropped from the ceiling, chastising them about it. The priest recommended that the family remove any paper that could be written on so the demon could no longer write letters. Same thing with pens. He told them to get pens or writing utensils out of the house. The demon instead wrote on Mrs. Wellman's hat box, mocking her for this. Thank you to everyone out there listening today. I hope you enjoyed delving into the Archer Triangle as much as I did. I just couldn't get over all the fun and fascinating stories and I just had to share them with you. I warned you guys before, it was a rabbit hole. Well, several rabbit holes that went off in crazy directions. The next episode will be the last one about Resurrection Mary. I promise. Like I said earlier, I am very excited to have Tony on to talk about Mary and some of the other haunted happenings around Chicago. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out. I cannot believe... I almost forgot one of the most famous Mary legends. And thankfully, Tony and I will talk about it. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on any episodes. If you have a ghost story to share or perhaps know something about Resurrection Mary or the Archer Triangle that I don't, 
please email me at myhauntedlifepodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow My Haunted Life Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. I'm going to be doing more TikTok videos very soon. I promise. I'm thinking I'm going to have to read the St. James Sag Woman in White story. And I think I'm going to read the article that I found about the Lamont demon as well. Because there's more to it that I didn't tell you guys this time. There's a whole thing with butter. Just preview. Make sure to join the Facebook group as well because everything gets posted in there. So it's like your one-stop shop for all things My Haunted Life podcast. If you like what you hear and want to support the show, please subscribe to the Patreon page. You could support the show for as little as $2 a month. And that's it for this one. I'll be posting all of the links to my sources on the website as soon as I get it updated and there's a lot. I'll try to get pictures of all the locations or something as well. But I will see you all next week on my Haunted Life podcast and until then, stay haunted. Thank you.